Welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. I hope you guys are doing good today. We're starting our brand new series this morning called Family Rooms, uh, and I'm excited about it. I hope you are too. Have you ever noticed that every home that you walk into has a distinct feel, right? You don't know where that feel comes from. You don't know what the cause of it is, but you know that every single home that you walk into has a different feel. Sometimes it has a different smell. It just has a different, like, like just it makes you feel different. When you walk into grandma's house, it has a certain feel. You know what I'm talking about, right? When you walk into grandma's house, it has a certain feel. If you walk into a house of a young couple, it's a young couple, they have lots of kids, it's a growing family, it has a different feel. Usually it feels like a tornado just ripped through the house and they don't even care and they're not even trying to pick up, but it has a different feel. My, I'm feeling a little echoey here. You guys hearing that? I, sorry, it's just kind of throwing me off a little bit. Um, you walk into a single guy's house or a single guy's apartment, it has a different feel, right? It has a different feel. It, it feels certainly different than grandma's house. You walk into, uh, maybe it's a retired couple, maybe they don't have kids or grandkids. You walk into that house and it has a different feel to it. All of these feel a little bit different. Several times, me and our family, we've been invited into that house, like of the retired couple, no kids, no grandkids, and, and they invite us over for dinner, us and all five of our kids, and you walk in, and usually it's the same thing that happens every time. You walk into this beautiful house, you're greeted at the door with a smile, you look around and you say, oh wow, your house is beautiful, you have lots of nice stuff, this is great and terrible at the same time, right? And then because they're such gracious hosts, they'll take your coats and your purses and, and stuff like that, and they'll take them back into their um, perfect guest bedroom that looked like it could have come out of a, of a magazine, and while they're gone for 30 seconds, you have an emergency meeting with your kids, and usually it goes something like this, line up, quick, right? And you look at it, you say, look at me, look at me, look at me, all of you, look at me, don't touch anything, <laughs> Right? You see those little glass statues? Those are not toys. The vases, those are not toys. Don't touch the plants. Don't touch anything, right? And you have this emergency meeting. You say, don't look at each other. Don't fight. Don't pester. Don't touch each other. Don't even breathe, right? You have this meeting with them. You say, if we can get out of here with limited damage, I'll take you for ice cream afterwards. And they're like, yay, ice cream. And I say, shut up. I said not to breathe. Stand there like a statue. Don't move. At the end of dinner, we usually get the, the compliment. Oh, your kids are so well behaved. They're just scared for their lives is all. It's just, they're trying to survive. This is, this is it. But every house has a different feel, right? Every house has a different feel. But what we realize is that Every house, though it may have a different feel, the rooms in the homes have a pretty specific purpose. Every room in the home has a general function, has a general purpose, has a general design. The living room has a purpose. The bathroom has a purpose. The dining room has a purpose. The kitchen has a purpose. The bedroom, the laundry room, all of these things have 
a specific purpose that we can pretty much agree on their function. And what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks in this Family Rooms series is we are going to use some of these rooms as a, a general launching pad for the sake of discussions to see kind of how they relate to our lives, both practically and figuratively, and, and to see how sort of it functions in the life of the family, how it functions in the life of the individual, and how it functions in our relationship to Jesus Christ. And so um, really, we're just using these rooms as, as sort of a starting point for a conversation for our homes and how our homes reflect our relationship with Jesus. Fair enough, it's gonna be pretty fun. Um, but we're gonna kick off this series this morning by talking about a room that I believe is one of the most important, if not the, the most important room in the house. This morning we're gonna talk about the dining room. The dining room, yeah. I got some amens back there already, good. The dining room. Have you ever heard the saying, if a man's Bible is falling apart, his life probably isn't? You heard that saying? I think that, the, I think that the general principle applies, the same theory sort of applies to the dining room and the strength of the family. If the seats at the dining room table are well-worn, then the family is probably pretty strong, okay? If the seats at the dining room table are well-worn, then the family is probably pretty strong. If you as a family make it a priority to sit down and eat together, there is relational health, there is spiritual health, and there is a family intimacy that can't be reproduced any other way, except for at the dining room. Oftentimes, what we're seeing now, in an effort to keep up, stay involved, make sure that we're connected to all the groups, teams, organizations, hobbies, and the world around us, we, we begin to trade our time in the dining room for everything else. And we spend our time eating together in the car, in the drive through line, fast food, so we can hurry up and make our next appointment. And I believe that this is tremendously damaging to the strength of the family. And what happens oftentimes is on the rare night that the calendar is open and we do get to all stay at home and eat together, we have an off night, we usually turn that into a movie night, right? Let's do sandwiches and let's turn on a video and let's plop in front of the TV and watch TV while we eat and celebrate our day off. I think the single most beneficial and practical advice that you'll hear probably throughout this entire series, let's just give it, get it out of the way early, right? Is set the table. Set the table. Learn to set the table. Learn to enjoy that time in the dining room. The relational health of your family will be determined by how much time you spend in the dining room. I believe this. I know you've spent thousands of hours at the dining room and, and we could sit up here and we could talk about all of the lessons that we've learned just by sitting at the table. I've spent thousands of hours in the dining room and I was thinking this last week of some of the lessons that I learned just sitting at the table with my parents, with my family, with my kids, with my wife and just all of the lessons that you learned by sitting at the table. I've learned thousands of lessons. I, I learned manners sitting at the table. How many of you know manners still matter, right? 
We, we, we do our best to teach our kids manners at the table. We always tell them, stop eating like a savage, you know, kind of be respectable, wipe your face. Like when you have food up on your forehead, you know, you're doing something wrong, let's clean it up a little bit. Like that still matters, right? Just, just teaching those little things. Um, I, I learned to pray in front of people at the table. That was the first time I learned to be comfortable praying in front of people. And you teach your kids early at the table to learn to pray in front of each other, learn to pray in front of people. They're not gonna freak out when they're asked to pray in front of people at their school, at their graduation, in their job, when there's an accident on the side of the road. Teach them to pray in front of people. The best way to do that is to pray at the table. At our home, man, they fight. They, they, they bloody each other up fighting who gets to pray for who, right? It's my turn to pray, you know? I mean, teach them to pray in front of people. At the table, I learn to deal with things I don't like. Come on, right? At the table, I learn to deal with things I don't like. At our house growing up, um, we weren't allowed to treat our mom like a made-to-order cook. You know, if, 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 if she was serving goulash, and there's just something about serving goulash that you're just predisposed to not like it by the, by the way it sounds. Like, we're having goulash. It's like, ugh, goulash. But, but, you know, we weren't allowed to, like, you know, substitute a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. If, you're, if your mom's serving goulash, you're going to eat goulash. If you don't eat the goulash, then you're going to go hungry, Right? And, and so I was, I'd learned to deal with disappointment. And, and we do those things at our house too. If Melissa cooks something that the kids don't like, they either have to learn to like it or they have to learn to lie, okay? Because they're gonna eat it and they're gonna pretend to like it. At our house, we don't allow any of the, the weird um, gross shivers, you know what I mean? You know when a kid eats something that they don't like and they do that, the shiver? Uh, we don't allow the gross shiver. You smile and you pretend that it's candy. You eat it. You smile. There's no, there's no mushroom gags at our house. We don't allow that. We don't, I don't like this. We don't allow that. Just shut your mouth and eat it. Learn to deal with it, right? There's all sorts of lessons that you learn at the table. At the table, in the amount of time that we would spend together there as a family when I was growing up, I, I found my voice. I, I literally found my voice at the table. I, I learned how to be heard at the table. I learned how to communicate with adults at, at the table. I learned how to communicate with my, with my siblings at the table. At the table, I learned how to listen. I learned how to, and there, because think about this, there's something that happens at the dining room table when you're eating where you are more engaged than any other time relationally with the rest of your family. If you're outside in the yard throwing the baseball, you're engaged, but you're kind of talking about specifically what you're doing. At the table, it is open-ended, and you really get to connect on a very deep, intimate relational scale. At our table, I learned to listen. A couple months ago, we were sitting at the table, we were talking, telling stories. I don't know what we were talking about, but we were sitting there, and, and Melissa and I both realized that, that um, one of our, our kids he would be talked over every time. 
If he would start a story, somebody else would finish it. If he would go to tell a joke, somebody else would you know, give the punchline. And, and basically, everybody was talking for him, talking over him. And so we really had to take some steps and say, hey, look, everybody else, shut your mouth. You, go ahead and speak. We're going to let you talk. You have the floor for the next 10 minutes. You just spit it all out. And, and we developed some really intentional time of, of letting him find his voice. But if we would never have spent time at the table, we would have never realized that this was going on. And so that table exposed some things in our family that we needed to, to fix. At the table growing up, I, I learned about the birds and the bees. It's kind of weird, you know? I did, it wasn't like intentional, like they didn't like have like a whole illustrated like meal planned or anything like that. But it was just it was just conversation happening, and then, and then because of the conversation that was happening, and because the TV wasn't on, and we were engaged in dialogue, it, it, it turned on them, and, and you know, you know the mom and dad, you can kind of see like the panic, and oh, I guess it's time to have the conversation, and, and you know, everybody else was excused, and I sat there, and, and I had the, the birds and the beast conversation, and I you know, came to the table hungry and left completely weirded out, and it was, it was you know, just one of those things, but it, it happened there. I learned at the table that all of my kids are different. I've learned at the table that emotions often live very close to the surface. If you take some time to engage with your spouse, with your kids, that, that we are emotional beings and that oftentimes those emotions lie very close to the surface and the second you, you pay attention and you look somebody in the eyes and you say, what are you thinking, what are you feeling, those emotions, those tears often surface. I've learned that it's okay to let them be angry, but not okay to let them disconnect. I learned that at the table. Um, my, we always sit at the same place. My little four-year-old, she's almost five, she always sits next to me, and sometimes she'll be fussing, and I'll get on to her, and then it'll be time to pray, and I'll put my hand out there, and she won't hold my hand. That's her punishment to me when, uh, when she's mad at me. I reach for her hand. She won't hold my hand. And so I'll kind of put my finger on her and, you know, just, you know, just be angry. That's fine. But, but we don't let them disengage. It's, it's okay. I've learned that everyone has great days and bad days. And, and the dining room always exposes this. I've learned that perception and reality don't always match. Sometimes something can look great and taste terrible. Sometimes it can look terrible and taste great. You know, sometimes you, you can't always judge by what you see. What I've learned, my time at the table, is that time together matters. Time together matters. It matters for husband and wife. It matters for your siblings. It matters for the entire family. Time together matters. And what I've realized is that we have become so connected to other things that our families have become disconnected. In the dining room, is where the family goes to recharge relational batteries. The dining room is the place that the family goes to reconnect. And so, set the table, set the table, set the table. And if you're here this morning and, and you think all of our kids are gone, it's just me and my husband, me and my wife, fine, set the table, get together at the dining room. If you're here this morning and you think, you know what, I'm, I'm a single person, I, 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 I don't have anybody in my home, well then find people to dine with. There's something so um, relational connecting about this. Find people to eat with. Interject yourself into somebody else's world, into somebody else's life. Be a pest if you have to, because there is great health and healing that happens at the dining room table. Set the table, set the table, set the table. Revelation 3, verse 20, this is what Jesus says. 
Jesus says, look, I stand at the door and knock, and if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. Jesus is, is saying, as, as I pursue you relationally, as, 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 I, as I do everything I can to get your attention, to, to knock at the door of your heart, as I'm there speaking to you and calling out to you and, and trying to get you to, to accept me as your personal Lord and Savior, as he's setting up this illustration of spiritual intimacy with him, the analogy that he uses is when you invite me in, I'm going to dine at your table and we are going to have a meal together. So to illustrate the relationship that Jesus wants with you, he says, we're gonna eat together. Invite me in, I'm gonna sit at your table and we're gonna have a meal together as friends because something relationally healthy happens at the table. So in the remainder of our time, what I want to do is I want to look at John chapter 13 and a little bit of Matthew chapter 26 and identify a few things that your family will find at the table. Because there are, are certain things that you will find, there are certain things that will come across your table, there, were, there are certain things that you will have to handle, have to deal with, and the more time we spend at the table, the better we'll be at these things. And so the first, the first is this, the first thing that you'll find or your family will find at the table is direction. You're going to find direction at the table. And again, we're using the dining room as sort of a figurative illustration here, but also in this one, a very literal illustration, because this happens at the table when you are eating together. John chapter 13, it lets us peek into perhaps one of the most famous dining rooms, one of the most famous tables that the world has ever known. It's the story of the last Passover meal that Jesus and his disciples shared together. It's the night before Jesus is crucified, and there's a lot going on. There's a lot happening at that table. So John chapter 13, verse 2, it says, It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God so Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into the basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Let's jump down to verse 12. And washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, or after washing their feet, he asked this, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. And leading up to this moment, and, and really sort of the, the thought and the mindset of these men as they were following Jesus and, and beginning to understand that he was the king of the Jews and that, and that he, he does have a kingdom and that he is a king and that he is going to rule and reign, the mindset of these 12 men um, was that they were going to get to rule and reign with Jesus, that they were his inner core. You've heard me say this before. If you know anything about scripture, you know this to be true, that um, they were really vying for position. In fact, a couple of the brothers were fighting and, 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 and some of the brothers sent their mom to Jesus and said, hey, would you let my boy sit at your right and your left hand side? You know, you know, mom was kind of interjecting there and they were really fighting for position. And so, and so, their whole mindset was to find a position of authority, a position of prominence, a position of honor within the new kingdom. And the night before Jesus is crucified, he, he has this meal with them, 
and, and before they eat, Jesus gets up and he wraps the towel around his waist and he gets down and he washes their feet. Now, now that wasn't anything that was out of the ordinary except the fact that when you would go into a place to get your feet washed because they often wore sandals and dirt roads and, and how many of your kids go barefoot in the summertime? Let me see your hands. How many of your kids go barefoot in the summertime? And when they come inside, like at the end of the day, you look at their feet and they're filthy, right? Just completely filthy. They've been outside for like three hours. Their feet are filthy. So imagine how it would have been for them. That they go into this place to eat. Their feet are completely filthy. Usually what they would have is a designated servant that would wash their feet when they would come in. So that, you know, hygiene and all that stuff, cleanliness. And uh, whoever was sort of the lowest person on the totem pole would wash their feet. And uh, if you didn't have a servant there, then, then sort of the, the least amongst the circle would wash the feet. And so um, you would get the intern to come in and wash their feet. You know what I'm talking about? Like the, like the least in the circle. And, um, and because all of the disciples were all vying for the same position, none of them were willing to say, you know what? As I look around, I can kind of see and I can kind of tell. It's pretty obvious that I'm the least in the circle. So come on, Peter. Come on, Andrew. Come on, John. I'll wash your feet. Jesus, come on. I'll wash your feet. None of them were willing to say, that's me. None of them were, and so as Jesus was watching this going on, as he was noticing this, he was understanding that the disciples were really vying for position of honor and, 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 and you know, prestige. And so Jesus gets up, obviously the leader, obviously the head of the table, and he takes the position of the servant and he begins to wash their feet. And, and all of the disciples are like freaking out about this. Like, Peter's like, no, don't do it. You're not washing my feet. And Jesus' is like, yeah, look, I'm washing your feet. And then Peter's like, well, wash all of me. And then Jesus just he says, Peter, stop it. You're, you're being crazy. And he shows them what it's going to be like to follow Jesus. At the table, at that Last Supper, Jesus sets the directions for the disciples' future ministry and, and for their future as a whole. He says, this is what your life is going to look like. You've, you have, have desired a position of prominence where people are going to serve you. That's not what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to serve. I'm calling you even when it's not your job to stand up and wrap the towel around your waist, I'm calling you to do it. You have to humble yourself if you are going to advance my kingdom. And, and though they might not understand this at first, and, and though it made them uncomfortable, and though they didn't like it at first, it was the direction that every single one of them began to run. And so at your table, in your home, set the direction. Set the direction. It doesn't happen, usually, by getting on your knees and washing your kids or your spouse's feet. You know, send them to the bathroom. Tell them to do that themselves, right? It doesn't always relate culturally. Just go, hey, go get your hands, your feet clean, and let's, let's eat together. But, but, but you do this. You do this. You set the direction by speaking prophetically over your family. You set the direction by speaking prophetically over your family. Now, I talk about this a lot, and I talk about it so much because I feel like it's so important. You do this not in a thus saith the Lord of hosts that he will and you will or any of that stuff. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But, but, but you just call out specific and purposeful things. You call out spiritual potential that you see inside your spouse, inside your kids in a very practical, relatable way. 
to your spouse. You, you tell your spouse, you know what? You are capable of more than you know, and I wish you could see in yourself what I see in you. I wish you could see that. I mean, I, I, I say to Melissa, I, I said this just to her, to her just the other day. If I had the natural leadership giftings that you do, our church would already be a church of a thousand. And, and that's not just fluff. It, it's, it's something that I see in her. And so take that time at the table to speak prophetically over your family, to your children. Say stuff like this. I know you're different from your friends. And I know it can be lonely. But listen, as long as you stand for Jesus, you will never stand alone. Take some time to speak prophetically over your kids. Let them know that you see spiritual strength, that you see honor, that you see integrity in them. Set the direction, set the tone for your family. To your college student, tell them, I know college is hard, but you got this, and I believe in you, and you are a man or a woman of integrity, and God is going to use you to do great things, and I know this professor is giving you a hard time, but you are going to overcome because greater is he that is in you, and all of those things, you let them know that you believe in them and that God has their back. To your, to your child, say, I, I know you don't know it yet, but God is going to use you for his glory. You say this to your preschooler. You say this to your child who is 47. You say this to anybody that is around your table. You speak blessings. You speak prophetically. You tell them God is going to use your talents. God is going to use your kind spirit. God is going to use your smile. God is going to use your big fat brain for his glory. God's going to use it all. Something happens, I, I believe this, that something happens spiritually when we as a family come together at the table. Just yesterday, we taking advantage of the, the weather, we did a little fish fry outside because you gotta fry fish outside because it stinks up your whole house. And so we did a fish fry outside and then we set up the picnic table. We were there eating and we were all there sitting together and Lydia was sitting right across me next to Melissa there. They were kind of cuddling up, eating together. Melissa's getting grease all over her because you know, kids touch and stuff like that. And, um, and Lydia says this, just out of the blue, we were all talking about other things. Lydia says this, Lydia says, Jesus was trying to say something to me. But I told him, not right now, Jesus, I'm eating. <laughs> okay. And, and literally, I'm not making this up to, to say, hey, I'm the pastors and look at my kids. No, this literally happened. And um, uh, Melissa said, well, Lydia, maybe you should. Because it came such out of the blue that it was like, I believe that Jesus was trying to say something to her. And uh, Melissa said, well, Lydia, maybe you should like stop and listen. Maybe he's got something important to say. And Lydia says, but it's so yummy. You know, she's talking about the food. <laughs> so, and so we had this conversation. And then a little while later, like Lydia literally stopped and she took a moment to like listen. And she says, Jesus says that I'm so precious. And, and, that all happened just out of the blue at the table. And, and I think that when we do our part to set the tone and the direction, God will show up in divine and profound ways at the table. And if you're a, a, a single here, you're an aunt, uncle, uh, whenever you can get at a table, you have more influence than you know. Speak prophetically. 
Speak prophetically. Call out the greatness inside of those people that you have influence over. And, and listen, students, if, if we have high school, junior high students, college students, there's going to be times at the table that your mom or your dad, your grandma or grandpa, they get sappy. And they start like with tears in their eyes. They say, I want you to know that I love you. <laughs> and I think you're great. And I see so much potential in you. And, and they're going to like start crying. And you're going to be like, oh, my word. Would you just stop it? Like they're not being lame. Listen, they're not being lame. They're, 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 they're spiritually washing your feet. They're, they're setting the tone. They're setting the direction. They're pointing you down a path that God wants you to go. So lock in and listen. They're establishing that divine direction for your life. And that all happens at the table. Most often it happens at the table because those conversations don't happen on the couch when you're watching you know, football. They, they don't happen out in the yard when you're mowing. They don't happen anywhere else. They happen at the table. At the table, your family will find, number two, at the table, your family's gonna find scandal. They will. They will. There will be a point where scandal comes into your home, where scandal comes into your dining room. It was at the Last Supper that Jesus revealed a scandal that none of them expected. John chapter 13, verse 21. Now Jesus was deeply troubled and he exclaimed, I, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, wondering whom he could mean. The disciple Jesus loved, which was John, was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Verse 24, Simon Peter motioned to John to ask, who's he talking about? So that disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? And so, so, so they're all sitting there, and Jesus is sitting here, and John is sitting here, and, and Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. You're going to turn on me. You know, We're going to do all of this stuff. And they're all like, what? This is crazy. Who is this? And, and Peter is sitting on this end of the table, and he he looks at John, he's like, John, ask him. Like, come on. And, and so John leans over to Jesus and Lord, who is it? And then, and then Jesus speaks sort of um, in code, you know, he, he doesn't like speak clearly and tell them, look, it's Judas, he's an idiot. He just says, it's the one I dip in and, and obviously they didn't know uh, how that had happened and so none of them really fully know or understand what's going on and none of it makes sense. Even when Judas comes up to Jesus in the garden and kisses Jesus, it still doesn't make sense to them and, and so it's this great big scandal that has come into their world and listen if there was ever a table that should have been free from scandal it should have been this table that Jesus and his 12 disciples were sitting at amen if there should have been a, a, a table that was just completely free from anything bad any internal strife any internal scandal it should have been this one but as scripture tells us there sat Jesus or Judas and the plans were already in motion to betray him for a little bit of money and though Jesus knew what was being planned, he knew what Judas was going to do, he didn't expose him to the other disciples. Even after Judas kissed him in the garden, Jesus was still full of grace and mercy. And what we see in this is that if there was a scandal in Jesus' dining room, don't be surprised if there will come a day when it comes into your dining room as well. And don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not speaking bad over your home. I'm not speaking bad over your family. I'm not projecting on you. I'm not wishing or hoping or, or, or speaking death prophetically over you or anything like that. I'm just saying that sometimes tension, sometimes scandal, sometimes bad things come into our home. Maybe a spouse that gets fired for unethical decisions they made at work, and it's a scandal. 
Maybe there's an accusation of an affair. Maybe there's abuse that's been exposed in your family. Maybe a pregnant teenager comes home. Maybe there's drugs. Maybe you've been accused of something, and it it hits you hard in your family. And people are going to talk about you. People are going to talk about it. And people are going to want to know more details. And people are going to come to you as a friend and try to get more details, to try to get more dirt, to pass it on to their friends. And, and, and this happens. And everybody comes in and is making their business your business or your business their business. And, and, and sometimes this, this part of life that, that, that changes and, and touches us, it really causes us to lose our appetite, both, both figuratively and spiritually. I, I mean, it really affects us. But when scandal comes into your dining room and your first thought is to bury it and lash out against it, remember that Jesus is still Lord over it. That whatever it is that enters your home, remember Jesus is still Lord over it. And no scandal that ever comes into your home or into your life takes Jesus by surprise. Man, that's so good to know. There's nothing that can happen in your home that Jesus is like, what? I didn't see this coming. Jesus knows about it. He is there. He's present. He's able to heal. He's able to help. He's able to direct. And he still is Lord over all of it. The problem for Judas was that he left the table. And I was thinking about this. I wonder what would have happened if Judas would have stayed at the table and he would have said, yes, you're right. It's me. Help Help me. Let's do this together. And he would have endured there at the table the shame and the judgment of of the 12 rather than going out and following through with what he did and and now experiencing the shame and the judgment of the universe. Don't leave the table. The worst thing you can do when scandal hits your family is leave the table. Don't isolate. Don't run away. Come together. Set the table one more time. Don't leave. Deal with the pain, deal with the exposure, deal with the shame right there at your table and with prayer and love and support and grace and mercy, invite Jesus into your situation and and begin to heal as a group. Don't fight it as an individual. The dining room, once again, will recharge your emotional batteries. It'll bring relational healing as a family. Number three, at the table, your family will find hope. At the table, your family will find hope. It was at the Last Supper that Jesus identified the hope of the world, the promise of salvation. Now, we're gonna close this way. I'm gonna ask everybody to stand to your feet all across this place. We're gonna close with communion. Um, and so what we, we have some uh, ushers and some people in the back that are gonna hand out some communion. So, so you guys go ahead and begin to do this. Um, the way we do communion here is we do grape juice and a little cracker. And... Um, the only requirement to be a part of our communion is that you have a, a real authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a member of North Shore. You don't have to be been coming for a long time. But the only requirement is that you have a real relationship with Jesus, that, that he is more than just a guy in history to you, that he is your personal Lord and Savior. So you guys go ahead and um, begin to pass those out. Uh, hold these. Don't, don't drink the juice or eat the cracker yet. Um, I want you to hold on to these for a second, and um, we will all do this together. Um, I'm going to keep going as, as they are handing these out, so, uh, so pass and, and kind of listen at the same time. Um, but it was at the Last Supper that Jesus identified the hope of the world. 
It was at the Last Supper that Jesus, one more time, in a very clear, definitive way, identified the promise of salvation. And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. It says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from this, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. And this is what we know to be true. This is what we know to be true. That every single smile that happens at our table, and there's lots of smiles at our table, lots of kids, lots of jokes, lots of stupid jokes, but lots of jokes. Every single smile that happens at our table finds its ultimate source in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Every smile. Every moment of laughter ultimately finds its source in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Because without the promise of salvation, without the promise of Jesus, without his life, death, and resurrection, we would have no reason to smile, none. We would have no reason to laugh, none. We would have no reason for joy, none. And so Jesus is the one who interjects hope into my family. Jesus is the one who interjects hope into yours. But it goes on because every pain that comes across our table will find relief in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Every scandal finds help in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. At our table, mine personally, when church pressure comes in and joins us at our table, Jesus is still my hope. At our table, when school bullies come in and, and, and their influence joins us at our table, Jesus is still our hope. When disappointment joins our table, Jesus is our hope. When sickness and disease join our table, Jesus is our hope. Something happens in the family when Jesus is at the table. Listen, when sons and daughters, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, friends and family come together and invite Jesus at the table, when Jesus is in the dining room, when Jesus is at the table, when Jesus is at the center of your relational health, at the table, a family becomes a force. At the table, a family becomes a force, and you realize that there's nothing you can't do, nothing you can't overcome, and nothing you can't accomplish together when you invite Jesus into that situation. At the table, a family becomes a force. At the Last Supper, at the Lord's table, a group of ordinary men, um, uneducated, nothing to offer the world, they came together, Jesus at the center, and these men became a force that literally changed the world for the kingdom of God. So this morning, we're going to close our time together at the Lord's table. And so you have those communion elements in your hands. Some of you are here this morning, and you're bringing some things with you to the table. Some of you are bringing joy and gladness. Others are bringing sorrow and pain. But you're bringing those with you to the table. Some of you bring adventure and promotion. Others bring disappointment and scandal. But it doesn't matter what you bring to the table because the hope of our salvation is here with us. And so we come together this morning in Jesus, a family of God coming together, inviting Jesus into our situation, knowing full well that we have the potential to become a force for spiritual change and a force for eternal destiny making within our city.
And so we come together, we're gonna, we're gonna do communion. But we have to know a couple of things. We have to know that we don't come to this table perfect. We have to know that we don't come to this table with all the answers. We have to know that some of us in this room bring scandal to the table. And Jesus says, he still wants us there. But we all come to the table because this is what Jesus invited us to. See, I stand at the door and knock. Invite me in so we can eat together. So we can have relational health, relational community. So that I can turn this family into a force that will advance the kingdom throughout the world. So we do this together. Back to Matthew chapter 26. It says, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it for this is my body. And this becomes symbolic of the community that we have with Jesus at the table. I give my life to you, Jesus says. My, I'm allowing my body to be broken for you because I love you. Because whatever scandal you bring to the table, I have hope and health and healing. Whatever disappointments come to the table, I am here. Whatever direction I direct at the table, you go because I gave my body for you. And so we, we're, we're gonna eat this. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to connect with us or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com.